Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hey, everyone. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the Sexy Lifestyle is all about. David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We sure are, and you know we love talking and learning about everything related to sex and sexuality, sexual health, and of course, sexual pleasure. We love diving deep into the naughty, the taboo, and the unknown, and we hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because, well, great sex matters, and we all deserve it. We sure do. So... Have you ever considered a treatment that combines lifestyle medicine with hormone optimization, healthy aging, and cosmetic gynecology? It sounds like a mouthful, especially for me because all those words are over six letters, but we'll get through it. But it (laughs) sure covers a lot of ground for a population who want to stay sexually healthy and fit the fuck at any age. On today's show, we're going to talk about lifestyle medicine and sexual health and how we can keep ourselves happy, healthy, and horny by eating well, keeping physically active, and managing your stress levels, your hormone levels, and your sleep patterns, and your relationships. That's the way. Absolutely. But first, like we do every show, we want to tell you about our top waterproof blanket because great sex is messy sex, but nobody wants to sleep in that wet spot. So if you're fed up with having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need one of our top waterproof blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leak-proof and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils or silicone lubes to all sorts of sexy wetness, just throw it in the washer and dryer and it comes out looking like brand new. And you don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply and safely go to Amazon and order yours today. Search Top Waterproof Blanket. That's T-O-P, Waterproof Blanket. Great sex starts now. It sure does. So does today's show. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and we are so excited to welcome today's special guest. We have OBGYN Dr. Sherlina Bogard, who specializes in lifestyle medicine and sexual health. She's an intimacy and sexual wellness physician, coach, and speaker. My goodness, this is going to be a great show. Great show. All right, (laughs) Sherlina, welcome to The Sexy Lifestyle, and thank you for taking time out of your busy day. We know you're up all night to be here with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. So listen, Juliana, let's get started by telling us a little bit about how you got into this field of sexual wellness. Wow. That's, you know, it's, it's, it's an amazing, people ask me that it's, it still kind of takes me aback when I realize that I, you know, as an OBGYN, my, as well as all of my colleagues, our main focus is supposedly reproductive health, which involves some sex. Mm-hmm. However, the average OBGYN, it gets zero training when it comes to managing sexual wellness. So we're really good at helping people get pregnant. But when it comes to sex for pleasure, anything beyond babies, we we don't have a clue. And so I've pretty much always been into a health and wellness um, lifestyle. I used to be a competitive um, fitness competitor. So wellness and just in general in life has always been important to me. One of the things I recognized in my practice was that, number one, when patients would come to me, um, with every doctor, we have these things, what I, I like to call the doorknob conversations. It's you spend, you can spend an hour with the patient 
And then just as you're leaving, you're going over, you know, I'll see you back in six weeks. And is there anything else? The patient's going to say no. But then just as you touch the door to leave the room, the patient's like, well, it's that one more thing. And as a gynecologist, um, particularly, it was always about a woman's sex sex life. Either she didn't have a libido anymore or sex was painful, um, just a number of things. And so the unfortunate thing was because I had no training, I never knew anything to tell her. So I would always and, 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 and I felt bad. I would say, well, maybe you need to have more date nights, you know, just put on some sexier clothes as though that was going to fix the problem. Right. And so um, because, you know, I said, you know, this is just as serious as if a woman comes to me with, you know, um, you know, a pelvic pain or difficult breathing. This is an important part of people's lives. And so because of that, it became important to me to fill that void in my education so that I could better help my patients because their reproductive years was so short, maybe a 10, maybe 15 year span. But there's a whole life after that. And we need to be able to support women in that and not have any guilt or shame associated with it. And so and that was the thing for me is I had to be comfortable talking about sex if I wanted my patients to be comfortable talking about sex with me. And so that's why you went into the sexual wellness. wellness. But so now you still are practicing and you're talking to your patients. What are the kind of things that they come back and ask you about? So there's... I would say there's two sides to it. So our my moms who, I shouldn't say my, my patients who are 40s and over. So those who have raised their kids and now they're empty nesters and it's them and their spouse and they realize, wait a minute, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't really you know know this person anymore. So those become my patients who they're two main um, complaints is going to be low libido. I don't have a desire for sex. You know, I can do it, but you know, I can take it or leave it and difficulty having orgasms. Mm -hmm. And so, and that unfortunately is also now becoming more common in my younger patients in their twenties and thirties, difficulty with orgasm, um, and painful sex for the younger patients. Well, yeah, that is hard. And of course we're always looking for something. You only, you're only working with the mothers or the, the, the ladies. (laughs) Um, but actually I work with both. Okay. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. So I, <clears throat> I had a little patient, uh, I used to have a clinic in Palm Springs, California, and I had a patient, 72 year old woman who her husband had passed away. She came in and she said to me, I want to get things ready down there. Cause I'm going to start dating again. And she had a boyfriend at the time. And uh, let's just say his name was John. And, um, so we, the things we're going to talk about today, but we did some things to get things ready down there. And she was in for her, I was think probably her third follow-up appointment. And, you know, I said, hey, how's John doing? And she says, oh, I had to dump him. He couldn't keep up. Yeah, <laughs> so what I recognized in that moment was you can't fix one side of the equation. You have to fix both sides or that couple still has sexual dysfunction. Right. And so I started um, introducing because sometimes the only time a man will come to a doctor is when his spouse brings him. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and men are actually a whole lot easier to treat than women. So it's actually been a really enjoyable part of what I do. So the intimacy coaching, it, it became intimacy coaching as well as being a doctor, a medical doctor as well. Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. And a lot of that kind of stemmed from, 
I would say, so for women, as you probably know, a lot of enjoying sex and being able to reach orgasm, it's, it's our, our mindset has a lot to do with it. I can give you the Rolls Royce of vaginas, you know, make everything perfect and pretty and functional. But if there's still conversations in a woman's head, she's still going to have difficulty reaching orgasms. Also, any woman who's had a long term history of pain or trauma that's associated with sex, even when you fix the physical things, unless you break that connection between sex and pain or sex and discomfort, her body will respond as though she still has that primary problem. And so um, I like to tell patients, I can help people who like one another and want to have sex with one another. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to marital discourse or relation, then that's when we need to get therapists and yeah, things involved. Right. But I can yeah. help people who like one another. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, so at what age do you start seeing people with imbalanced hormones, low libido? And, and what kind of symptoms do you see what, when they come to see you? Have they already so far gone? Or do you feel that they're actually getting a good start to start correcting those things early on? We, luckily, we are now understanding the importance of managing hormones. And so I will say for the average age, again, becomes in the 40s. That's when a woman starts to notice her. It's usually the putting on of the weight and the low libido. Mm -hmm. And so that's typically what brings a woman in is, you know, I just I just don't care if I have sex. It's and then it takes longer and longer and longer to reach orgasm. And so those are the things. And unfortunately, women aren't always as forthcoming with discussing their difficulties um, with sex because we, as a society, in the American society, we have such a stigmata on women and sex for pleasure. Now, when you you know look at the other side of the coin, men, usually, typically, a man will come in when he stops waking up with his morning erection. Mm -hmm. Um, that's the telltale sign that brings them in. And so, and the difference in between men and women. So when a woman's hormones start to change, it happens abruptly. Like we feel like we hit a wall overnight and most women who are over 45 can, can attest to that. Whereas men, a man's testosterone level at about age 30 a man's testosterone level go, starts to decrease about 1% to 3% every year. Ooh. So it's a slow decline so that men don't typically, their body kind of compensates, compensates, and so they really don't notice the changes. They'll start to, you know, again, put the weight in the midline, sometimes start to get the man boobs. But it's when they finally get that testosterone level gets low enough where they're no longer able to maintain or achieve erection or they're not waking up with that morning erection. And that'll bring men in quickly. Mm -hmm. um, versus women, we tend to chalk it up as, oh, my energy's lower because of all of the stress and the things that I'm doing. And we just, you know, and so it really takes a lot longer for us to come in, although the symptoms hit us faster. And I think also because with menopause, and we know that our hormones get screwed up with menopause, even if you're 45, you might think, oh, well, I'm just premenopausal. Mm -hmm. And that's expected. So we maybe exactly. don't think that there's anything really wrong, or sometimes we don't even know that there's something we can do about it. It's just an expectation that you're not going to like sex for the rest of your life. And so that that's all exactly. there is. That's nature playing its course. And but are you finding more and more people are actually getting to learn about hormones and the and the role that it plays with, for example, with libido? How, how do you explain how hormones affect libido? So, yes, um, 
a lot of times women, as you know, we are told that's that's just a part of getting older. And what I like to how I um, help people to understand is as we get older, most of us women at 45, men at 50, our vision goes. So you can have 20-20 vision and then all of a sudden you can't put things far enough away to be able to focus. But none of us just deal with that. We go and we correct our vision because we want we want to have 20-20 vision. And it's the same thing with our hormones and our, you know, our sex life. The hormones go down, but there's something we can do about it to maintain them. Um, so I do what's called bioidentical hormones. I don't do any synthetic hormone replacement. And um, it's basically a field where we look at a patient's own profile and we replace all of the different hormones to bring everything back to what we call optimal as opposed to normal. Mm. And so normal levels will typically you know, what's normal at 50 is not what's optimal at 20. And most of us want to feel like we felt when we were in our 20s, not like, you know, how we feel in our 50s. And so with the hormone replacement, with the bioidentical hormone replacement, we focus on optimizing hormones back to where they were when we felt good and when we were in our 20s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if you're like 60, are you, you really want to put them back to as you're 20 or maybe as you're 40? Just curious. Is it the same for every uh, age? So there's no target numbers. There's ranges, and and it's it's but essentially it's the same regardless of the age, um, what the body. And sometimes I will find that older patients may require higher hormone level re, um, replacement because their cells are less sensitive. So it takes a little bit more to get the same result as opposed to someone who's 40s and just perimenopausal, where we can just do a little bit and they're getting back to those optimal levels. Mm-hmm. Where would you like to be, hun? Well, I mean, I think 40 <laughs> is fine with me, to tell you the truth, but I don't I don't need to be at my 20s. Uh, but I know that there's so many more advancements um, with um, hormone replacement therapy in the mm-hmm. United States, for example, than there is in Canada. And we're suffering for that right now because me I would or you. Me. Or me. <laughs> hey, well, both of us. <laughs> Uh, and um, we ha- I had originally started with a hormone replacement therapy with a doctor in, in Houston, Texas, and I was very, very happy with that. Then COVID hit and we weren't traveling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's interesting. And unfortunately, so often we look at testosterone is only for women's sexual health, where we need testosterone from our hair follicles in our head to our toenails. And cardiovascular disease is the number one killer of women over the age of 50 worldwide. Yet, if we keep your testosterone levels optimal, we significantly decrease cardiovascular disease. So when you look beyond sexual health, testosterone is so important, even for dementia. You know, we're seeing so many benefits of keeping women's and men's testosterone levels optimal. So, you know, then hopefully that will change over time because that's just a a disservice to women to not have access to something Mm -hmm. that's so beneficial to life. You can always come see me in Mexico. Absolutely. That would be fun. Right. right. I'm, I'm opening a clinic in Cancun. So that's oh. what it's going to be a regenerative wellness clinic. So, oh, yeah. Beautiful. Cool. Wow. Now, is it possible that some women have too high of a libido? Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, I always say it's personal choice. So if your libido is high and it works for you and your partner, then, you know, there is no normal. And so if it's 
nothing, if it's not impacting her life in a negative way, and it's not impacting her partner in a negative way, then I, I would not say there's too high of a libido. Now there is, there's a condition called, um, where people, women have spontaneous orgasms. Ooh. And which really sounds really good on the surface, but if you've ever experienced it where you could literally just be sitting washing the dishes and have an orgasm, that that after a while used to be unpleasant. Uh-huh. And so and things like that where there's actually a true hormonal imbalance or something going on in the brain, then I would say then yes, that that's something that needs to be addressed. But if a woman's libido is it's working for her. And I think the average woman would prefer to have a high libido over no libido. Yeah, no kidding. I now, think the average guy too. Yeah. Now, for David, for example, he has a, a high libido. He has no real reason to think that his testosterone has gone down over time. Do you see that a lot with men where they think, well, nothing's wrong with me. Why would I have to get my testosterone checked? Yes. Yes. Um, and, then, and then, like I said, it's usually once the erectile function start to show up that men will get checked. Some of the other things you'll notice is if you start to notice the difference in your fat to muscle ratio, where you are storing more fat in your midsection um, and muscle is easy, harder to gain, that's a sign. Memory issues, difficulty sleeping, diff- even difficulty, let's say when you work out and you're having pain in the morning, that's a sign that your testosterone levels are starting to go down. Mm-hmm. And so, again, men will trudge through all of that, but it's when the erectile dysfunction shows up that, no, we need to go check this out. <laughs> so just beware out there. Go get your testosterone checked, especially if you're over 50. It I'm might going, just... I'm going tomorrow. He's going tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now one of the things that we talked about when we introduced you is that you um, are a physician of lifestyle medicine. Tell us a little bit about what yes. that is and why it's important. So lifestyle medicine is a evolving field of medicine that recognizes the importance of the things you do from day to day in managing your long-term health. So it takes the focus away from medications and surgeries and the things that we've been taught and it puts it back on the patient. And these are the things that you can do on a day-to-day basis to decrease your risk of developing disease. And as I think I heard you speak um, in the intro, reducing stress is the number one thing we can do to improve health from head to toe. So teaching patients how to eat for health, how to exercise, getting adequate amounts of sleep, but decreasing stress and stress hormones, because when you do that, you actually decrease your risk of um, disease and death overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things also, there are validated studies <clears throat> to show people who have healthy lifestyles on average live about eight years longer than those who do not. Well, and eight years might not seem that long when you're maybe 30, 35, but you know, when you're getting up there to 65 and 70, eight years is a whole lot of years. Right. And it's the quality of those eight years. Right. You're not in the hospital all the Um, time. You're not going for tests. You're actually a lot healthier and and able to enjoy life. We just came back from two weeks at Hedo and we were on the Bliss Cruise with our friends at Topless Travel. And it was so cool uh, seeing in the playroom, in the middle of some of the orgies, um, couples in their 70s mm-hmm. and going yes. at it. And, and there's a couple. We have a friend. Uh, they're both close to 70. And they have three to four play dates a day. So you know what? Uh, they live a healthy life. They eat well. They hike. They, they exercise. exercise. Yeah. And it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's absolutely true. So there's these, I was doing research, um, the areas in the uh, world that are called the blue zones. Have you heard of those? No. 
So there, there's five areas in the world where people live the longest. And um, like there's one in Greece here, there's a place here in California. But anyway, it's the place where people live the longest. And one of the things that they've seen is in those areas, people are having sex well into their 90s mm-hmm. and they're having a regular healthy sex life um, from ages 75 to 95. And, you know, and they have a very positive lifestyle where they are they're not necessarily vegans but they eat less meat compared to the average american diet um they get they're very communal so they have communicate you know very close contact with others which you know contact with others we, we are as humans we are made to be intimately connected to others and so just having those positive intimate connections has a overall positive um, effect on your your lifespan so yeah people are living longer and having sex longer when they adopt healthy lifestyle choices long term wow that's absolutely true and it's circular because the more healthy you are the more horny you are and the more horny you are the more happy you are and we say happy healthy horny that's the you know the triad that we live by um for i sure do yes in our lives we do no, I was going to say for men, you know, when we start talking about cardiovascular health, one of the things I like to tell men is a way to kind of get a soft read of your of your sexual fitness is your physical fitness. So if you cannot run up a flight of stairs without being out of breath, that's literally about how long your erection is going to last. So however far you can go with your running, if you're jogging, when in that point where it becomes difficult for you to breathe that's also the point where your erection is going to go away. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the more physically fit you are, the longer your erection is going to last. I think David's going to be running to the gym tomorrow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> running to the gym, running now. around the gym, running home. <laughs> so just hang on for a minute, Charlene. We just need to remind everybody that this is a sexy lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and we're chatting with sexual wellness physician, Dr. Charlena Bogart. We'll be right back. So are you interested in vaginal rejuvenation and sexual health? It's a topic that we want to talk about more because how we look and how we feel make a huge difference in the way we live sexy. The company Lumisk has developed an easy treatment system for vaginal rejuvenation. It's a product that you can use on yourself and at home. It's a carboxy gel called CO2 Lift V. You simply mix together two packets of gel and apply it to your vulva and inside your vagina before bedtime and then rinse it out in the morning. The gel infuses CO2 into the skin to encourage blood flow. It promotes healing and cell regeneration. And the great thing is that there's no discomfort or downtime. This CO2 Lift V treatment keeps your vaginal tissue healthy and happy. It increases lubrication and sensation and makes sex more fun at any age. After you finish the initial course of weekly treatments, you can easily maintain your results with applications once a month. Also, it's a sure way to snap back after a long night of great sex. For more information, visit CO2Lift.com, buy yours today, and get a 15% discount if you use promo code SEXYLIFE at checkout. That's S-E-X-Y-L-I-F-E. Great sex starts now. And remember, if you're looking for an online open-minded community to meet compatible people in your area, you should go to sdc.com and use promo code 30314 for your first month free. So check it out. All right, we're back. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David. And now we're going to get back to our show with sexual wellness physician, OBGYN, Dr. 
Sherlina Bogart. Yay. And, you know, we just heard a commercial uh, which mentioned the product CO2 Lift. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how it works? Shout out to Lana. Yeah, shout out to oh, Lana from CO2 yes. Lift. Yay. Lana Kerr. Um, so CO2 Lift V, it's actually, it's the first topical carboxy therapy that is widely available um, over the counter and directly from medical providers. But what it does is it can be used by both men and women, and it, uh, it increases oxygenation to tissue. And by increasing the oxygenation to tissue, we are improving the function of the tissue. So specifically for women, it's going to um, help with the elasticity of the vaginal tissue so the woman becomes more sexually responsive the feeling comes back it also will decrease urinary tract infections because a lot of times as women get older that does become an issue with the changes in hormones um, it helps a woman to make lubrication again on her own but also for those who are having the irritation with sex where it's more painful and burning it will treat that so that again sex becomes enjoyable um, one of the patient populations that I really, really love using it for are my women who have had breast cancer mm. and have gone through treatments and now can't take hormones, you know, because they are on an anti-estrogen regimen for usually 10 years after breast cancer. And those women are thrust into menopause overnight. And sometimes sex becomes unbearable because it's, you know, the vaginal tissue is so irritated. And the CO2 lift V is excellent. It, I've had so many good results for that patient population to show just how well it does restore healthy tissue, tissue function. Wow. That's, um, that's cool that it's actually available for people yeah. who need it and use it. And, and you've tried it uh -huh. and, it's, and yeah. it's so easy to I use. I know, absolutely. Yes. yes. I use I use it I um, as it's just it's like part of my monthly regimen because my goal is to not ever get to the point of needing anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I um, every month I, you know, I do my little self-care day, yeah. um, put the, the jail in and get a good book and sit and read my book for 45 minutes. Um, but also it's good for men as well. So uh, there are some procedures that we do for men and we'll talk more about those a little bit later. But using the CO2 lift on the penis, number one, will help to increase sensitivity to the penis. Um, as well, you put it on the scrotum in the penis, so it'll um, increase the sensitivity of the tissue. But it also makes it feel nice and soft mm -hmm. because apparently men want soft skin mm -hmm. down there. <laughs> we do. It's true. We so, did it. So we, it's nice and soft for the women to yeah. suck and lick. And David, David liked the attention when I was putting the gel all over him and yeah. waiting. And he likes that, too, because we do our <laughs> self-care with each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. It's a very intimate thing, mm -hmm. you know. So, mm -hmm. yes. But all, and it does it um, improves erectile function as well. We got I got to say that so it's not just cosmetic. It does increase oxygenation to the tissue so that the erectile function is improved. Wow, that's very cool. Now there's some other cosmetic type gynecology that you practice where you talked about fixing the lady's vagina so it was all pretty and functional. What what else can you do? <laughs> oh my goodness, there is a whole catalog of things that so many patients don't know exist. But we've all heard that term that goes around vaginal rejuvenation. Mm -hmm. And um, and then there's so many interpretations of what vaginal rejuvenation is. But essentially, the, the goal of any vaginal rejuvenation is to restore healthy function to vaginal tissue, make sex pleasurable, and decrease the um, issues that women have. 
So we do everything from laser procedures um, where we can go in and tighten the vaginal tissue. We can um, improving the blood flow. Um, some of the things that I do specifically that um, are, I guess, the non-invasive is O-shot and P-shot. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of those? Yes, I yes, have. Yes. Yeah. But you can describe so, them for us. Go ahead. Okay. So O-shot and P-shot, um, what they do is they use PRP, platelet-rich plasma. And these are procedures, in-office procedures, non-surgical, where we take the patient's own blood, spin it down and separate it into its components. And then we take a layer called the serum, which is the gold-looking layer, and it has platelets in it. And we take those platelets and we re-inject those back into, in a woman, we put it in the clitoris and into the anterior vaginal wall. And then in the man, it goes directly into the penis itself. But what happens is, again, we're increasing healthy blood flow, oxygenated um, blood flow to the tissue. So a woman um, becomes very, her orgasms become much easier. And I've seen time after time, a woman who's never had squirting orgasms suddenly having squirting orgasm. That's probably the number one thing patients come back excited about that they're <laughs> squirting all of a sudden. Um, but it also, again, it helps to make um, penis and vagina or um, penis and vagina orgasms easier because so many women, there's probably only about 25% of women can actually achieve orgasm through um, penetration. Most requ- require clitoral stimulation. And so that makes penis and vagina or toy and vagina, but penetrative vaginal orgasms become easier after getting an O-shot. And it also improves, again, the quality of the tissue so that she's making her own lubrication, tissues more sensitive, and orgasm is just easier overall. Now, you talked about um, you talked about regenerating that tissue, but explain a little bit what happens or why the tissue has been degenerated What over time. Yes. So because of the changes naturally getting older and the changes in hormones, what happens is so the nerves as when we're younger, the nerves come all the way up to the surface. So they're nice and sensitive um, to the surface of the skin and the tissue. So everything's nice and sensitive. Orgasms a whole lot easier. As we get older, those nerves kind of just degenerate and they don't make it all the way to the surface. There's not really good blood flow. So the tissue gets dry. It tears very easily, gets very irritated, um, orgasm becomes much, much more difficult. The average time for orgasm, so when in younger, healthier women, the average time for orgasm is about 13 to 15 minutes. As women get older, it can go up to on average about 45 minutes mm-hmm. um, and longer, as some, some women on here may know. And a lot of that does because of the changes in the blood flow to the tissue. So when we do hormone replacement or these vaginal rejuvenation procedures, the goal is to restore blood flow to the surface so that, again, the tissue is sensitive, the elasticity is restored, so it stretches without tearing, um, and orgasm and sexual pleasure um, is restored. Now, how can we help ourselves by eating better and exercising? What kind of things can help reduce that degeneration of the the vagina itself? Or prolong it. So, all right. Well, anything that we do that's the lifestyle, the wellness things that maintains anything that decreases inflammation in the body, because a lot of this has to do with inflammation in the blood vessels, um, which is decreasing blood flow. So anything that we can do that's going to decrease stress, um, getting regular exercise, having a healthy diet, decreasing artificial 
foods and sugar. So as we know, we, 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 I mean, I think we talk about this ad nauseum. Sugar is one of the most addictive things that we have in the U.S. diet, but it also causes inflammation in the body. And so if you can just remove sugar from your body, um, from your diet as much as possible and eat um, more fruits, vegetables, things in their natural form, you will find that overall you increase in, you know, the blood, well, I'm not going to say blood flow, but you're going to improve your health. And if anything that improves your health is going to improve your sexual function. Mm, Absolutely. Now, some people, some women actually have um, something called vaginismus, where it's painful sex, but not because of degeneration. Can you tell us a little bit about the difference and what is vaginismus? And how we can help. Yeah. You can help. Uh, So vaginismus is usually those women have a history of some type of sexual trauma, sexual abuse, where vaginal touch has been associated with trauma. And so over times, what happens is what we, there's a psychosomatic, so there's a brain muscle connection where anytime the vaginal tissue is touched, the muscles in the vagina constrict and contract, and it becomes very painful. So that I mean, even just the lightest exam in the office becomes almost impossible for these women. And so there's two parts to um, treating. There's pelvic therapy in and of itself where um, we can help the woman to learn how to relax those muscles and not um, and break that that mind muscle um, connection of sex and pain. But sometimes there's also a need to have some therapy to deep dive into what's happened in her past so that she can overcome that. And I personally, I like to involve the partner Mm -hmm. whenever we have these things, because so many times we think that men don't, it's just all about, you know, going in, having sex, but they really do want their partners to enjoy sex. Most men aren't just in it for themselves. They want their partner to enjoy it. And so I like to involve the partner in in teaching him to, again, reintroduce touch and make touch safe and starting out with non-sexual touch, but making it very, very intimate and then progressing so that it's just not her with the, you know, the having to deal with this, but so that it does, it's something for the couple. Because again, like I said earlier, it's both sides of the equation have to be involved when there's sexual dysfunction. And how would a woman (laughs) bring it up to her partner that she's not enjoying sex and it's painful and it's, it's really not his fault. It's just something that she has. And uh, like you said, you have to get your partner involved, but how do you tell him? So the number one thing I always say is don't discuss it in the bed. Yeah. So do not discuss it in the act because, you know, there's nothing that you can say that's not going to make him think that it's his fault or he's not doing something right in that moment. Um, But if a woman has a history of this, having this conversation prior to becoming intimate with a new partner, um, that this is something that's been going on. I'm de- working with it with my doctor. But again, having the conversation in a non-sexual environment so that it's a safe conversation to have and um, he's not feeling like it's something that he is doing wrong and right. causing it. Right. If it's an ongoing relationship, then most of the time the partner knows um, if there's tell, something right? yeah. not quite right. Um, and And Sometimes the man himself will bring it up, you know, what's going on. 
And again, having the conversation outside, you know, honey, I went to the doctor, you know, because of in saying what's going on. But there's really no easy way to talk about sex when you when you're not comfortable talking about it. And just like everything else, you get better with practice. Mm -hmm. So it's always going to be a stumbled through conversation, usually the first time. But what we find is once you open that, you know, open that box, the partner's very receptive in having a conversation again, because he wants the woman to enjoy it. And so it's just realizing that we just have to, we just have to have this conversation. But the number one thing I say is just don't do it in the bedroom. Yeah. And I know, um, I mean, Carol and I, we we swing, so we play with different people. And we have to be really good communicators. And even sometimes when Carol and I have sex and I'm trying something a little bit different, um, you know, she needs to tell me, you know, that doesn't feel too good because I don't know how she feels and why would I want to do something to her that's not feeling good and then all of a sudden her brain goes somewhere else and the whole Mm -hmm. sexual experience isn't good. So it's so important, like you were saying earlier, to communicate and tell the person who you're having sex with, how it feels. Just as important exactly. as it is to tell them it feels great, sometimes it doesn't feel good. And instead of saying, no, no, stop that, you can just say, well, why don't you try putting your whatever over here or go a little slower, a little faster? And because that hard no uh, kills the moment. Mm-hmm. Right. And one of the things that, and you kind of touched on it is rather than saying what I don't want, what I don't like, or what does not feel good, share what does feel good, what you do prefer. It's let's focus on the positive because again, direction is so important. And for women, especially, and I hate to harp on women, but a lot of times we are not comfortable with our own bodies and sexuality. And so uh, we have to start with being comfortable, touching ourselves and just knowing what feels good, what does not feel good so that then we can express that and share it with our partner. And so it does with women start with within ourselves mm-hmm. um, and, and getting to know our bodies and, and being comfortable with our bodies. And not being afraid to hurt someone's feelings. Like you do have to say what you have to say in a nice way, of course, but not yes. saying it just because you don't want to hurt their feelings or make them feel inadequate as a as a man, then that's only going to you know cause things but to get not, worse. But it's not about hurting exactly. the feelings. It's about making the situation more pleasurable. I'm saying a lot of women are worried about hurting people's feelings, yeah. especially loved ones, so they don't say anything at all. That no, makes it worse. but unpleasurable sex is almost like faking an orgasm. Well, yeah, nobody guess. wins. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No yeah, problem. and if you look at the look at the orgasm gap, I mean, there's what sixty three percent of women have not will not reliably have orgasms, whereas only it's about about five percent of men have that issue sometimes. Mm-hmm. And as you said, a lot of times we as women we accept that as oh, this is just a part of relationships and sex, and as I'm getting, we just it's just a part of life is what we put in our heads, and we have to deal with it. Um, and so, no, we don't No, it's <laughs> And not that's true. what I tell my patients. <laughs> it's not, I, I used to have a male partner in my practice and, um, he was older, so very old school and he would tell it's OBGYN and he would tell women, you know, well, it's a natural part of getting older for sex to become painful for you to have difficulty yeah. orgasm. Yeah. But, but how much of that is a price to pay to pleasure your partner? Oh. Yeah. Wow. Ouch. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? Right. Yeah. Are you seriously kidding me? Yeah. Um, but, and he's not, 
alone in that mindset. And you would be surprised at how many female physicians have that same mindset. Mm -hmm. And we need to change that. That's why we have beautiful people like you on our show. We like to educate the world. We like to open up dialogue. We need to talk about these things in our house, in our bed, not necessarily the bad things in our bed, like you said, but we need to talk about sex everywhere we go. All right. So I get to ask the next question before before we go into great sex matters. (laughs) So um, does size matter? Ooh, does size matter? Okay, we'll ask you personally. With, personally. With, with, personally, does size matter? Of course it does. Of course it does. Yeah. Of course it does. Um, studies show, because studies show that actually width is more important than length. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, the, you know, the vagina is a circular vault. And so, um, and the vagina has stretch receptors, but it doesn't have pain receptors. Oh, interesting. So the width is what, women are more responsive to. So a man with a nice girth um, can get away with a shorter penis than a man with a longer penis that's skinny because it's, then it's just like this straw and a big thing. And Is it in yet? <laughs> right. <laughs> so yes, size matter, but it's more correl- correlated with the width um, than the actual length. Well, um, and what if he's too that, big? We just talked about a guy ooh. being too small. What if he's too big? So if he's too big, um, there's some things the woman can do with vaginal dilators um, to help her on her side. But for those patients, we talk about, you know, different positions that make it more comfortable, um, getting relaxed, making sure she uses lots of lubricant, things to make it more pleasurable. Um, But that hasn't I mean, a baby's head is right, two right. centimeters. Yeah, yes, and right. A whole baby comes out. Yeah. So, as much as people say, you know, what if he's too big? I've not personally. I've probably seen it once or twice, and that's usually in a woman who has some, like she's had breast cancer and she's had some constriction of the vagina, or someone who's truly virginal. Mm-hmm. So I, I or, know, or they're hitting the cervix and it's just not comfortable. They're just going yes. too deep. But I know happen. for a fact. That um, I'm, I have an average white cock. I call it an AWC, and we have great sex. <laughs> but we have some toys that get bigger and bigger and bigger. And as long as we play with them slowly and with a lot of lube, and and start off with a smaller maybe one, maybe a little tequila or sambuca. <laughs> exactly. I mean, Carol could put really large dildos into her <laughs> pussy. Yeah. And, and we have pictures to prove it. Yeah. And and you know then there's right. fi- then there's fisting, right? I mean, we we were on a, a cruise and. A girl went down on Carol, put her whole fist inside, and I have I have a picture of the whole thing inside up to above her forearm. So, you know, there is a lot of give there when you're gentle and when you have lube. Mm-hmm. And go slowly. Just go slowly. And, and you yeah. take your time. Yeah. You take your time yeah. and allow. It takes time for blood to get to the pelvic area in women and for those muscles to relax. And so just all of the, the foreplay is so important for women that foreplay it's necessary but if you you know do the foreplay use the lubes i again i there's hardly a king kong penis out there yeah, <laughs> yeah. woman's not going to be able to talk yeah. unless she has some other issues going on and you know as carol said even sometimes women can have things like fibroids or things that make the cervix and uterus painful mm-hmm. 
in those instances, we do need to do an exam and figure out the cause. But the vagina itself has some give to it. Yeah, lots of give. Let babies come out of there, lots like of you give. said, right? And you know, I yeah, love. I a took f- a whole. I love. <laughs> I, say, I took a whole ten-pound baby out of someone. This morning. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's <laughs> so, a big baby! My goodness. Yeah. Well, this has been an amazing segment. Let's just remind everybody that we are Carol and David. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. We're having an amazing discussion with sexual wellness physician, Dr. Shirlina Bogart. Coming up next, of course, is our favorite segment, Great Sex Matters. But before we get there, let's just talk about topless travel and the amazing trip that we have planned for later this year. Absolutely. So I was mentioning earlier that we were just with topless travel on the Bliss Cruise and we were with them at Hedo. And they are absolutely the best. If you're looking for the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever, then you simply have to book with topless travel. From Hedonism 2 in Jamaica, Desire in Cancun, and all the Bliss Cruise experiences, topless travel needs to be your number one choice. Yeah, their trips and events are all about the people and the sexy fun experiences. So let's just give a quick shout out to all their sexy host couples, including Jessica and Justin, and of course, Party Mark, and they're there to ensure that you have one hell of a sexy vacation. Absolutely. And you will find us on many of the amazing topless travel trips. But listen up, the one that we're really looking forward to is the Bliss Cruise on the awesome Celebrity Summit on April 17th to 22nd, 2023. We're going to be there broadcasting live from the ship and all the cabins are selling out quickly. So book now. Come and join us for the week. We'd love to meet you there. And of course, for all that information and for more about any trip and all the topless travel events, you can go to thesexylifestyle.com and click the topless travel events link to book the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. Ever, 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 we were just there and we had an amazing, amazing time. We came back a much sexier and stronger couple, which we do on all our lifestyle experiences. And um, I guess it's time to get back to the show. We're going to remind everybody we are Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. And as Carol said earlier, it's now time for our favorite part of the show where we get to talk (laughs) about great sex because... Well, great sex matters and we all deserve it. So, Sherlina... What would you say is the need to have sexual variety to keep things spicy and sexy and exciting? Oh, it's definitely a need. If you think about it, it's, I um, think about being on a roller coaster. The first time you get on this roller coaster, every dip, you scream, you holler, it's, everything's exciting. And, and after about the 10th time on that roller coaster, you can anticipate what's going to come and you don't get that same adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the same thing in the bedroom is we you you need variety, surprise. That's why it's so important to change environment. Um, just have some different stimulus um, because that helps to helps our body to respond. We, we get that adrenaline rush. And it does help with sexual response and orgasm and that head rush. And so when you're not able to just sit there and anticipate every little next move, you know, we come in the room, we turn off the lights, we get in the, and it, it gets boring after a while. And, and women, women need variety. Um, again, we try to make it all about, well, you know, men like to no, women need variety just as much as probably more than men because we stay in our heads mm-hmm. and we see that in the lifestyle where in the swinging <laughs> you heard lifestyle, what you said it stays in I your know, head otherwise it would stay in your head <laughs> it stays in your head but we see that in the swinging <laughs> lifestyle where 
women are controlling who they want to play with, who driving, they don't want to yeah. play with. They're driving it. They're making suggestions. And even if it is the guy that might have maybe introduced them into the lifestyle, mm-hmm. those couples that are successful in the lifestyle is because the women are the ones who are driving the Especially decisions. Especially the ones who get rid of the brain traffic. Well, I know, but honey, we, we all try our best. All women do it that right. way. And we all do our best to get the brain traffic away <laughs> so we can enjoy some great sex. Yes, and you've gotten much better yes. over the 15 years yeah. we're together. Yeah, exactly. Now, Shirlene, I was on social media, as I do every day, and I happened to see a post where it talked about the G-spot not being a specific pleasure point, but actually a part of the clitoris. Tell me what you think of this concept. I only saw it on social media. I don't believe it. I just, I'm just repeating something, and I'd like to hear your professional opinion on this. So there's a little bit of truth to that. Um, so the clitoris, the, what we see, the little head that sticks out is just a tiny part of the clitoris. The average clitoris is about eight inches, which is longer than the average penis. In case people didn't know that the clitoris is bigger than the penis. Um, but it has these two arms that extend back into the anterior vaginal wall. So we have that head that we see, and then it splits open in the two arms And there's a space between the vagina and the urethra, which is the tube that the urine comes out. And so in that space is a bundle of nerves. And those nerves, when they are stimulated, which is is what helps women have vaginal orgasm. And that's what's the G spot. It's just a bundle of nerves that's in. And there's no specific place. It's, you know, different for everyone. But yes, those clitoral arms do extend back into that area so that they are getting stimulated. But it's more specifically the bundle of nerves that's in that area. So it's the the bundle of nerves that actually causes the orgasm, not necessarily at the same time, the clitoris arms being stimulated. Or is it a little bit of both Um, together? It's a little, a little bit of both together. And that's what signals to the brain yes. that this is pleasure and that you're going to have a climax. Yes, okay. if we relax and allow it to happen. <laughs> that's right. And then you squirt. <laughs> okay, yes, then we squirt. And then, you, and then you squirt, and then you squirt. <laughs> that's why we made our top waterproof blanket because we were ruining too many mattresses. Carol yes. just squirts gallons. Yes, yes. And that's oh, something I goodness. learned later in my life. I think I was in my 40s when I learned how to squirt. It was actually only when I was with David. We've been together 16 years now. When I met David, I all of a sudden started squirting. I'm sure because I was mm-hmm. more relaxed, I was having much greater sex. And it just happened. I'm telling you, I was shocked when it started happening. I didn't really know what was going on. I think there's more talk about squirt today than they say 16 years ago. But at that time, Definitely. I had no idea what that meant. Right. And that's actually one of the most common questions I get whenever I'm on different um, interviews. And we talk about orgasms. Is, is squirting real? Is squirting pee? And, and, so, and so it is something that we are talking about more and recognizing that it is a form of orgasm. And yes, there is some pee in it. Um, We'll put that out there. But if you look at when a woman squirts, if you look at the discharge under a microscope, it does have a similar um, look as if we were looking at a men's um, ejaculate Mm -hmm. um, from the seminal vesicles. And so it's a little bit of um, urine, but mixed with discharge from the glands that are there in that, again, that space between the vagina and the urethra. Um, and as you said, women do what I've seen in my personal practice is when a woman becomes comfortable with her body, when she is able to relax, that squirting 
every woman, and that's what the question is, can every woman squirt? Unless there's some type of trauma, every woman does have the physical ability to squirt. It's just, will she allow it to happen? And does she want it to happen? Not everybody wants that mess. Exactly. Not everybody has a top waterproof exactly. blanket. Exactly. <laughs> right? Go to Amazon, exactly. order yours today. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, very often we use self-pleasuring to learn how our body works. What, what are your thoughts on self-pleasuring? Oh, I think it's very important. Again, and it just goes back to the earlier conversation of the more comfortable the, a woman is with her own body, the, way, the more she recognizes what it takes to stimulate her, help her to get to orgasm, the more she understands that, the better she can communicate that to her partner um, so that she's not communicating. Men, men are, if you are so... I don't want to make it simple, but when you communicate to your partner what they, you need, they usually can respond. But if I tell you what I don't like, well, that's not doing it for me. He still know, or yeah. he or she is not going to be able to nine times out of 10 get you there. So the more comfortable you are with your body, the more you can communicate with your partner and um, make sex more pleasurable for both of you. Absolutely. So if you can keep, if you can, you know, if you enjoy self-pleasuring and you can teach yourself to orgasm more easily. Can you? Well, I, I'm asking, can you get that sort of uh, mind or what do you call it, like muscle memory? If I can make myself orgasm, perhaps my partner can make myself orgasm. Is that is that a fluid thought? Um, I will say women, because um, women will often say that it's easier for me to orgasm with a toy, okay. self-pleasure, than it is with my partner. Um, and a lot of that is because of clitoral stimulation. Most women do require clitoral stimulation in order to reach orgasm, which a toy in self-pleasure is giving you that di direct clitoral stimulation versus when your partner is trying to achieve the same with penetration. Mm -hmm. It's more difficult for women to get a you know, penetration orgasm. And so, it, well, why is it much easier by myself versus when I'm with him? It's the mechanics of where the stimulation is going. So if you show your partner, I like it right here, add, add a toy so that there's clitoral stimulation um, along with the penetration, then um, it makes it much easier and um, happier. <laughs> Everyone's celebrating because now we're getting there faster, quicker. Um, but muscle memory, I would say yes, when you're doing it yourself, you know exactly where to go and I gotcha. you can get yourself there in three minutes. Um, but it does take when you're with your partner, some, again, showing and, sh you know, I need the stimulation here versus why it's not happening with just the penetration. Right. So I'm sure I'm sure there's some women out there listening saying, I've never had an orgasm. I mean, Carol was only late in her life where she had her first real orgasm. If someone has never had an orgasm, what do they do? They don't know how it feels. You know, walk them through points one, two, and three. <laughs> um, well, the first thing is for those women is to do an exam to see if there is a physical cause. Um, the smaller a woman's clitoris, the more difficult orgasm is. Um, clitoral stimulation is so important. And so, and the distance between the, clitor the clitoris and the vaginal opening, the more, the greater that distance, the more difficult it is for a woman to have orgasm sometimes. So starting out with a good physical exam and making sure there isn't some actual physical things that need to be addressed. 
but then go getting into her head um, and seeing if there's some other causes. And so it starts with a good, you know, history and physical exam always. And then um, figuring out if she is able to reach, you know, get stimulated to get to that point and helping her to get comfortable, teaching her self-pleasure first so that she can, once we figure out, you know, there's nothing going, that there's nothing physical that needs to be addressed, but teaching her to get comfortable with her own, with her body and reaching, getting stimulated herself so that then she can share that with her partner and introduce her partner into it. I guess she also has to make sure she creates the right environment, no kids around, no busyness around, I don't have an appointment. Mm-hmm. Run a bath, put on some candles. Right, to just, just get in her own space so it's all about her. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like sex can't be another thing on your long list of chores yeah. that you have to do. Yeah, you 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 know it's it's something we should look forward to sex. Like mm-hmm. I think about sex all day long. So <laughs> me too. Um, again, because I I keep my hormone. I will tell you one of the benefits of keeping your hormone optimized is you literally walk around like a little seventeen year old boy, <laughs> um, thinking about you know when how when am I going to get home so that I can manage this, but. Um, you have to look forward to it. It can't be another thing on your long list of chores. Mm -hmm. And so again, like you said, making it so that you have no other responsibilities in that time and making it a comfortable environment, even sometimes just going and checking. If you have the ability, checking into a hotel, changing the environment, um, changing the stimuli, the stimuli around you. And so that you're not worried about the kids coming in or, you know, some people literally it's, if you're in an apartment, or are my are my neighbors going to hear me mm-hmm. through the walls if I make too much noise? And just getting in a different environment, experimenting with toys, different. There's, as you know, thousands of different toys out there. Everything from clitoral stimulation to anal stimulation and everything else. And so, finding the toys that help her, but experimenting. Um, in an environment where she's comfortable. For sure. Cool. So, I mean, we, we all know the benefits of toys, and guys, don't be afraid of toys. They actually make sex better. Carol and I use them all the time. But I guess as we come to the end of the show, we'll ask you something personal. And uh, what is your favorite toy? <laughs> well, if I can be honest, um, I'm not a toy person. Oh. Like your fingers. Um, Exactly, because I, I know I know exactly where to go, and um, I'm just I've never been a huge toy person. I will say I prefer um, a general old-fashioned dildo over any of the toys with movement and vibration. Just the old-fashioned dildo I like. Um, some of the new clitoral suckers that are out there, there's some amazing ones. Um, I those are pretty good, but. I'm an old-fashioned girl. The old-fashioned dildo horse. Yeah, that's Ka- all good. Carol's favorite is a womanizer, and she likes when she puts the yes. womanizer on her clit, and I put two or three fingers in her pussy. Um, that gets her. Yeah. Going. Thirty seconds later, right. I'm done. It can pop off a few yeah. here and there. <laughs> there. See, and that's it's again experimenting. But I will say, you should. Women should have a repertoire. Mm -hmm. a repertoire of toys don't be afraid to try stuff you would be amazed um i think in the past there was one i had it was called the the thruster i think Mm -hmm. it was a german one Mm -hmm. and that was probably the only moving toy that i i really liked because it was hands-free ah yeah gotcha yeah 
Um, and so, and it had all these different thrusting patterns and vibration and, and different things. And so, you know, people, especially if you're single or in a long distance relationship, traveling partners, oh, the new AI toys, that mm-hmm. I would say Very is cool. probably, um, I right now I'm personally in a long distance relationship. And so the new AI toys where you can sync them to an app on the phone and your partner can control it no matter where they are in the world. Mm-hmm is probably one of, I think, the better things, better <laughs> toys right now. That because it, it allows you to create that intimacy and interaction and your, you know, your partner gets to be a part of it, yeah. even though they're on the other side of the globe. Yeah, no, that is cool. Now, of course, we can't leave this discussion about toys and, and self-pleasuring without talking about lube. I mean, in general, even Ooh. for sex and personal at pleasuring. At any age. And at any age, not just for that's, old people, you know, it's not, that's not no. what lube's all about. No, lube is so, so, so important. Um, just again, because it makes sex good. It's it needs to be slippery. And if it's dry and nobody likes that. So um, one of my favorite lubes is, is actually Uber Lube. Mm-hmm. Um, good one. I do love Uber Lube. It works really, really well. Um, but it is for all ages, especially like our younger women who have had babies and or maybe breastfeeding and they're not making their own lubrication or it becomes more the lubrication is less it's less slippery so it's actually more watery when you're breastfeeding and your hormones are lower and it just doesn't get there and so lube is important it's important with toys um again and so for everyone there's no age cut off where you need to start well you know i'm not old enough for that everyone should be using lube and one thing we found is um for those women who squirt you need lube because squirt is not uh it's it's not it's viscous it's not slippery yeah, it's, it's not, not slippery, slippery. and it actually and it actually yeah. washes out the natural um vaginal lubrication that would be there so with carol yep. being such a squirter we have you know the, gallons the gallons bucket, of lube the bucket that, ga- that <laughs> picks up the squirt and then we use uh, we like pure pjur um mm-hmm. and, and lube is good because the good lubes and don't buy the flavored ones and all that stuff because once it's on the pussy and once it's on the <laughs> cock you can give a blowjob you can eat a pussy and mm-hmm. it's, it's it doesn't like it's taste not bad. there it yeah. there's no taste right exactly Right. The, what I would say is for, you know, and your community probably knows is KY jelly is the worst thing to you. Yeah, I still have client patients who come in and that's what they've always heard and told. And that's what they're I'm like. No, there's so much better stuff yeah, out yes, there yes. again. And like you said, there's they're non-toxic now. So you can continue with oral pleasure and things like that. And so. Yeah, absolutely. We're coming to the end of our show and we'd like to leave our listeners with uh, some final sexy advice. What would you say would be the top two things that women can do to ensure a healthy sex life? I would say the number one thing that a woman can do is to be comfortable with her own body. Self-pleasure is so paramount in a healthy sex life and with your partner. And so it all starts with you. And getting rid of all of the preconceived notions about what you're supposed to be, what sex is supposed to be, and figuring out what's good for you, what gives you pleasure, what lights your soul up, and then sharing that with your partner. And number two is experiment. Experiment, experiment, experiment. Be open to new toys to new environments. And so, and then if you're, you know, you have a healthy relationship with your partner and want to consider um, opening your relationship. It's, it's being open to discovering what's healthy for you as opposed to what society has told us is 
normal sex. Wow, that's awesome. Awesome, that's awesome, awesome advice. Awesome. Dr. Sherlina Bogard, thank you so much for being here. All that great information. How could people find you or reach you? So I am actually in the process of transitioning from patient care to healthcare educator. And I'm launching a new academy to train other healthcare providers um, in all of the regenerative sexual health and hormonal things that I do. And so right now my website is under construction. So social media is the quickest way to find me. And it's just my name, Dr. Sherlina Bogart, D-R-S-H-Y-R-L-E-N-A Bogart, B-O-G-A-R-D. And it's the same across all platforms, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I need to get better on Twitter. <laughs> but um, but and then but the new website will be up soon. And um, I don't want to say the name now because we're okay, no under, like I said, we'll we're under construction. Website. Yeah. And of course, if you <laughs> yeah, missed but, that, if you missed any of that information, you can just go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, where all of our guests have their own guest page with all of their information. You can even contact them directly from there. Absolutely. And like we did today, you know, we're learning more and more every week from all our great guests. We hope you do too. If you have any questions at all, you can always send us an email at ask at carolyndavid.com. Alrighty. That was an awesome show with an awesome guest, Dr. Sherlina Bogart. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. This has been amazing. (laughs) It was. And uh, like every week, we want to thank all our listeners for being here week in and week out. And just remind you to join us again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, sexual health and pleasure, and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny. Well, that's it for our show today. Carol and I send you lots of love and great sex. Please stay safe. And of course, stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever.